Yes. We want to welcome you to Potential Church. We are in a series. We're talking about relationships. We're doing it uncensored, which means we're just talking about the real stuff, the real uh, deal that we all kind of wrestle with. And sometimes there's a little bit of tension in that, but ultimately the outcome is one uh, that is positive. And we've been playing a game each week. We have done Name That Tune. We have done charades. I mean, so this week we're going to play... Are you ready? The seven-second challenge. I know. It's a big one. The seven-second challenge. We've got two families that are going to be a part of it, and you are going to be the judge. Are you ready for that responsibility? <laughs> Don't get too excited. All right. You will be the judge. So let's meet our families. All right. The first family. Sir, give me your second. How would you say that? How would I say that? <laughs> the first family is the Rochas family. Can you give them a potential church welcome? Yeah, come on down. Awesome. You guys feeling good? All right. And our second family. Sir. How would you say that? Acevedo's family. All right. Thank you. Give them a potential church welcome. Are you guys ready? All right. So here's the way the game is played. We're going to put seven seconds on the clock. We are going to give each family a challenge. It will be the same challenge. They will present the challenge to you, and then you will determine, as the judge, which family nailed it and which family failed it. All right? Does that sound exciting? You're starting to get excited. I know. Come on, let me see a little hand wave. All right. You never know. Somebody might be out there, discover you. So let's start, let's start here with the Rocha family, all right? Come on down here, we're going to see your challenge. So let's put the challenge up. Oh, he finally wins an Oscar. We're going to put seven seconds on the clock. Seven seconds on the clock and begin. I finally won an Oscar. All right, give it up. Acevedo's family, come on down. They're going to have the same challenge. They're going to have the same seven seconds, and we're going to see how they do. Seven seconds on the clock. Let's see it. And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Finally. All right. Thank you, family. Now you get to decide who nailed it and who failed it. All right. So let's begin over here with the Rockas family. Did they nail it? The Acevedo's family. Mm, that could be close. 
But I believe the Acevedos nailed it, which means you failed it. I'm sorry. But we've got a second challenge, and we will start with the Acevedos family, the first ones on the block here. All right, let's put the challenge up on the board. Dance like you're made with jelly. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Is the balcony ready? All right, seven seconds in. Here we go. Mm, dance like jelly. All right. Let's hear it for the Rockus family. Seven seconds on the board. We have the same challenge. Let's begin. All right, give it up for the Rokas family. All right, it's your turn to judge now. It's your responsibility. Let's see who won. How about the Acevedo's family? and the Rokos family. You nailed it. So that means you failed it. All right, so this one will determine our champion. We have one challenge left. Let's start this one with the Rokos family. Come on down, bring your microphone with you. Here's the challenge. We're going to say hello in five different accents. Those accents can be from around the world or around the country. There are seven seconds on the clock, and we're going to begin when you begin to talk. Good day, mate. Hello. Hey, y'all. Hello from the other side. <laughs> We have a star. We have a star. All right, Acevedo's family, grab your mic. Come on down. It's the same challenge. It's the same seven seconds, and we will begin when you start. Hello. Hello, governor. Hello. Hello. How do you all? There we go. Are you nervous? This determines the champion. Are you guys ready? Have you made up your mind? Who do you think nailed it? It's supposed to go ding when I say that. Who do you think nailed it? And who do you think has failed it? That's power right there, just so you know, okay? All right, here we go. The Rocos family. And the Acevedo's family. Mm. It was a tie. It was a tie. Thank you guys so much. Have an incredible afternoon. Give it up for our families. Would you do that? Mm. We're always looking for volunteers. We're such a spiritual bunch. We are here at Potential Church. Hey, if you pull out that outline that you got, I want to jump in. We don't have a lot of time. We have a whole lot of content when it comes to 
uh, parenting. And, and I wanted to take a different perspective because I wanted, here's my, my goal today, is that you leave with a sense of, of tension, really. Uh, hopefully challenged, encouraged, uh, guilt, never. Guilt is always from the enemy. God never wants us to feel guilty because guilty, you know, destroys, it tears down, it, 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 it doesn't allow us to move forward, instead it pushes us backwards. So, and I was thinking, how, how can we do this? And I thought, well, what if parenting was an athletic contest? What responsibilities would we then as parents have? In other words, how do we compare parenting to an athletic contest? And so that's what we're going to do for the next few moments. I don't know that I'll get through all of this, um, but if I don't, you can download uh, the rest uh, of the content. You can also, of course, if you're interested, um, on what we talked about at the seminar uh, when it comes to parenting. I think there are basically five responsibilities that any athletic contest has and that we as parents have as well. Now you need to know that we are sharing what we're sharing. First of all, we're sharing from our heart. I want you to win as a parent. I want your family to win. I want my family to win. So I'm sharing from my heart. We're also sharing from our experience. Steph helped me out yesterday. And we have three kids. The oldest is about to turn 24, and the youngest is 15. Um, and so we're sharing from what we've learned, what we did right, and, of course, the things that we didn't. And then we're sharing from God's Word. So we're not sharing from perfection. And here's what I've discovered about parenting, is that you do not have to be perfect in order to be a good parent. But you do have to be intentional. You do have to be intentional in order to be a good parent. So what are those five responsibilities in the athletic contest of parenting? I think the first one is a groundskeeper. Every athletic contest has a groundskeeper, and I think as parents, we have to be groundskeepers. And, and here's basically what a groundskeeper does. A groundskeeper is the one that goes out. Before, when Steph and I first got married, um, we were going to school, and uh, it was during the summer, and we were delivering papers, and I was working at the softball fields. And before we could play each night, I would have to go out there, and I had this line, and I would line the field so that people knew what a foul ball was. And that's what a groundskeeper does, is they line the boundaries. They set the boundaries, right? Every athletic field has boundaries. You know, it's kind of like if we were going to draw uh, something similar to a football field or a soccer field. They all have these boundaries. This is out of bounds. This might be a touchdown. And within here is all the freedom you have to play the game. But you cannot play the game if you don't know the boundaries because you just have chaos. How do you know when you scored a touchdown if you, if you don't have any boundaries? So you never know if you win. How do you know if you're out of bounds? I mean, can you run to San Francisco to catch the pass? I mean, there are no rules without boundaries. And the same thing is true for you and I when it comes to parenting. It's our responsibility to set the boundaries. Look at what the Scripture says in Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people what? The people perish. 
Now, the NLT translates that same verse this way. When people do not accept divine guidance, they what? They what? Yeah, they run wild. The NIV says it like this. Without a revelation, the people cast off restraint. So what is the wisdom writer saying? Well, he's saying that if we don't hear from God, if we don't have some kind of guidance, there's chaos. What is he saying? Without boundaries, there's chaos. Without boundaries, we all do what we want to. We all do what we think is best. And the same thing is true in our families. As a parent, I have a responsibility to set boundaries, to determine for our family as parents, we set boundaries for our children. This is the way we're going to talk to one another. And if we don't talk to each other in this uh, fashion, then you're out of bounds. And if you step out of bounds, there is a consequence for that. This is, this is, you know, what we do. This is how we do it. Now, I think there are a few mistakes that we make uh, as groundskeepers. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 15. Correction and discipline are what? Uh, 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 say it again. Correction and discipline are what? Yeah, and who are they good for? They're good for the children. So correction and discipline are good for the children if they have their own way. In other words, if they have no boundaries, if there's no groundskeeper in the lives of the children, they will make their mothers ashamed. Why? Because they'll be running crazy. They'll do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And here's what the Scripture is so clear about. Given to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. That's why the Bible gives us boundaries. It says, hey, don't be a glutton. Why? Because if God doesn't set a boundary, we'll eat ourselves into the grave. People do that all the time. And so God sets boundaries, and we as parents do the same thing. We set boundaries so that our children have a greater opportunity and order in which to succeed. Now, I think we make some mistakes sometimes, and I think, first of all, it's changing the boundaries. Where depending on your mood determines what the kids can do and can't do. Some days they come home and you're in a bad mood and it's like, man, we better be quiet and we can't do this, you know. And in other days you're okay and the boundaries are always changing. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, if you went out to play football one day and the field was 20 yards and the next day you went out and it's 50 yards and the next day I went out and it's 100 yards. So, so you would always be a little bit uneasy because you would have a desire to succeed, but you wouldn't know the ground rules, therefore it would make it difficult to succeed. And the same thing happens to our kids when we're always changing the boundaries. There's a sense of uneasiness and tension in the home. They're not sure exactly how they're supposed to react or respond. And they're not sure exactly what you and I as parents are going to do. I think the other mistake that we make as groundskeepers is that we allow our children to draw their own lines. I mean, isn't that what it says in Proverbs, that when we don't correct and when we don't discipline, that children embarrass their parents, they, they, they destroy themselves. And then when we talk about boundaries, I mean, we're talking about the biblical you know, definition in the sense that there are lots of boundaries the Scripture sets that then we as parents have a responsibility to teach to our children. But we're also talking about the boundaries of when do you go to bed? And what do you eat? And what is curfew? All of those things are boundaries. And as parents, we have a responsibility to set those boundaries. Why? It's because those boundaries are teaching our children a respect. 
teaching our children authority, teaching our children uh, all of those things that are important for them to succeed in the future. So if I don't have boundaries in my home, then I'm really keeping my children from having an environment in which it's easier or more uh, opportune for them to succeed. So it's really, really important because these boundaries just aren't about when do you go to bed. These boundaries are teaching my children how to deal with that sense of authority and how to respond to it and how to communicate. And so the first responsibility I think all of us have as parents is to set boundaries. And I would just ask the question, have you been intentional about that? Have you had discussions with your spouse about what are the boundaries in our home? How do we talk to one another? And what happens when we don't? What time do we go to bed? What kind of food do we eat? All those kind of questions. Knowing that it's not just is it important whether you go to bed at 9 or 9.30, but just the opportunity to teach our children as a result. I think the second responsibility that we have, just like in any athletic contest, is to, is to coach. Uh, to coach means to teach, right? Let me show you a few coaches. Second option <laughs> Now, what do coaches do? A lot of times, coaches are known to do the X's and the O's, right? They design plays. We're going to go this way, you're going to go around, you're going to block. All those kind of things of how we're actually going to succeed. So coaches are teaching, and they're teaching, and they're motivating, and they're inspiring, and they're challenging, and they're disciplined in order for their team to win. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, 6. Direct your children onto the right path. When they're older, they will not leave it. What is the right path? Well, it's how to win. I mean, that's what that scripture is saying. Direct your children, coach your children, teach your children in how to win so that when they're older, they're not going to leave from it. They're not going to live a chaotic life. Instead, they're going to succeed. There are some things that all good coaches do, and I think as parents we would uh, do well to follow their example. I think the first thing is to establish a game plan. All good coaches have a game plan. Coaches know what is the goal of the game. It's to win. And so in order for us to win, here's the kind of offense that we're going to run. Here's the kind of defense that we're going to run. Here's where you need to be when on, in this situation. Here's where you need to be in this situation. Here's how we're going to prepare to be in shape for that situation. It's, it's called the game plan. And the same thing is true when it comes to parenting. We need to have a game plan. And so I guess I would ask all of us this simple question. What is the goal of parenting? What is the goal? And it's not just to get through the day, right? You feel like that some days? You know, oh, man, if I can just make it till the kids get in bed. You know, where's the Benadryl, you know? Um, <clears throat> See, if you don't know what that means, it's because you don't have children, yeah. <laughs> what is the goal of parenting? Have you ever thought about that? Is it just to raise good kids? What is the goal of parenting? When Steph and I, 16 years ago, came to Potential Church, the pastors that were here then were very influential in our parenting because our kids were young. And so we watched what they did, and we watched how they did it and, and, and learned from them. 
And, and Dr. Hal Mayer said something that has forever impacted me. And he talked about the goal of parenting being to raise children who are good parents. That the goal of parenting is to raise children who are good parents. Now, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of relationships, God says, here's the way relationships are supposed to operate. He says, for this reason, a man or a woman leave their father and their mother, and they cleave to who? Their spouse. The word cleave means they are super glued, or they become one. But in order for a man and a woman to become one, and then to create children and provide an, uh, an environment in which they can succeed, they must leave their father and their mother. So you and I then have to understand that as the coach, as the teacher, as the parent, what is my number one responsibility? From the day the children are born, I am teaching them to leave. Okay? That's the biggest role you have as a parent, is to teach them to leave. And I think as parents, sometimes we get these things out of order. We think that our responsibility is to hold on to or is to control, but it's not. The scripture says in Psalms 127 that children are a blessing from God, that they are arrows. And what do you do with arrows? You don't hang on to them. You do what? You shoot them. And God wants us to shoot our children into the world in order to impact the world for good. And so as a parent, my responsibility is then to prepare, to teach, to inspire, to motivate, and to challenge my children to leave. Because that's what the Scripture says. Now, remember, when we get that out of alignment... When we get the family priorities out of alignment, then we, are, we have positioned ourselves outside of where God says he's going to bless the family. In other words, in the family unit, what is the priority for the husband and the wife after Christ? It's the spouse. It's always the spouse. Always the spouse. It is never the children. The children never take priority over the husband or over the wife. And when they do, because there's always that temptation. You know why? Because kids want to be priority. Who wants to be in the corner office of your home? Your kids do. They want to tell you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And so there is a temptation to allow them to do it because it's just too stressful to feel that somehow if the child is the priority, then that means that I really, really love them. And sometimes guilt motivates us to do that. Sometimes culture pushes us to do that. But the biblical idea of family is that the spouse is always the priority. Because the spouse is the one that you are one with, that you are super glued to, that you come together. The children are there to be coached to leave, to leave. And I really think when we grasp that, it changes the way you parent every day. Is that you get up today and you've got all these things that are going on around you which are opportunities to leverage so that you can coach your children on how to successfully be shot out into the world. That's, <clears throat> that's what parenting, according, again, according to the scripture, is really uh, all about. So we have to establish that game plan because if we don't start here, 
then it's very difficult to be successful because we're, we're, we're trying for a different end. I think there are some ways in which you can evaluate the priority in your home. I, I think the first thing is if you and your spouse don't regularly have a date night or go away for a weekend without your children, your priorities are misaligned. And, and, and let, me, let me say why. Listen, what is your goal according to the Bible when it comes to your children? It's to teach them to leave. How can they ever leave if you're unwilling to be separated from them? See, that's more about you and not about your kids because you are hurting your kids when you and your spouse don't model for them the priority that the spouse is to be. Listen, our children know that we love them, but they know that the priority is their mom and the priority is their dad because one day they're going to leave our house and I will know I have succeeded if that them and their spouse are one and raise kids who then do the same. I will not determine how good a parent I am by how often my children call me once they leave the house. That's about me. Do I want them to call me? Yes, I want them to come at Christmas and bring a great gift, okay? I mean, I want all of that to happen. But I, I really think that we get this out of line and it causes us a whole lot of trouble. And it causes our kids a whole lot of trouble but it, because if it's what feels good to us. So if you're not spending some time with your spouse away from those children, it's out of alignment. I think another thing we can look is, is that your bed is not their bed. It's not their bed. Listen, here, here's why. Because the moment you allow that child into your bed, guess what will happen? They won't just sleep in it, they will own it. They will own it. And, and we are then modeling for them a misalignment of what the Scripture says. That is the marriage bed. That is for me and my wife where we have become one. We are super glued together. And there is no relationship in the world like me and my spouse have. And it's only when we love one another with that oneness that my kids will actually get what they need in order to succeed in life. And when I try to get from them what they can't give, I'm actually hurting them in the process. And so that means that although it might be easier because it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I am tired and they are crying, I'm still going to do what's best for them by doing what's best for our marriage. And so I think there are some ways in which we can evaluate the game plan. Do you have a game plan? And do you understand that what you do in all those areas is affecting your children? And, and, and so it really comes back. What is our game plan? What are we trying to do when it, comes to our, when it comes to our children? So I think a coach, first thing they do, they have a game plan. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> a little tension in the room. All right. So, uh, uh. Number two, discover each child's ability. Right? A coach always knows that all the players aren't the same. Some are different. Some have different skills. Some don't. Some do this well, some do that well. I know we have three kids. Tyler's the oldest, and Tyler's a very passionate. He's always been passionate. He's emotional. You know, he feels things deeply. He communicates them deeply. Um, Carson is our middle son. Carson's a thinker. You know, he's always thinking. He's always asking questions. He's, he's always uh, curious, you know. Uh, Bailey is our, our daughter. She's our youngest. 
And uh, there's a scripture that says um, that wisdom's like a, a deep well and you have to draw it out. And, and Bailey has a depth to her. And, and when I, you know, it's, it's drawing um, that out of her. She, she's, she's quiet, but there's just a, a, de a depth, a deepness uh, to her. Now, that's important. We need to know who they are because then that helps us coach them effectively, teach them effectively because they're going to respond to things differently. They're going to learn differently. It also helps us understand who needs to coach them in certain seasons, at certain times, and in certain ways. Some of our children are more like me than others. Some of our children are more like Stephanie than others. And that matters when we're trying to coach them. Sometimes it's helpful to be like them. Sometimes when the mom and one of the kids or the dad and one of the kids are a lot alike, they kind of butt heads, you know? And, and so um, that takes the other coach, you know, kind of stepping in and having the patience. You know, uh, Tyler and I are wired a lot, some, and so we can butt heads, and Steph can step in and, and, uh, and help parent. And, uh, you know, because parenting is one of those things that never really ends. It looks different, like I said, as the children become more and more who God's created them to be. Here, here's the third thing, is maintain a unified coaching staff. Because kids will divide and conquer, won't they? Right? And it's not because kids are evil. Kids are just like you and me. They're smart. And so they'll go to mom and they'll say, mom, can we do this? And if mom says no, are they going to give up? After one no, something they really want to do, they're going to go to dad. And they're going to ask dad. And even if dad says no, well, they may call grandma. All right, call grandpa, can you believe? So you have to have a unified staff. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, we all want to be on the same team. And how do we do that? We communicate. We talk to each other. We, and and you have, that means I have to die to myself. Because sometimes, you know, I just want to be the hero. I want to be the one that says yes. You know why I can be the one that says yes? Because I know she'll say no. All right? It's kind of like Democrat and Republican. I'll vote for that. And you, you know. it, it, so it, we want to communicate because we're all, you know, we're the coaching staff. Here's the, the next one is listen to your children as a coach. Good coaches listen to their players. Don't downplay their worries and their fears. You know, your eight-year-old comes to you and says, oh, it's been a horrible day at school, and they tell you what's happened. And in your mind, you're kind of like, if that's the worst thing that ever happens to you. Right? But you can't say that. Why? Because it is the worst thing that's happened to them to this point. And if, if you downplay it, then they're not going to trust you in the future. So you want to build a relationship where you really listen. You're really hearing what their heart is saying. The, the, the fifth, good coaches leverage their assistant coaches. Good coaches leverage their assistant coaches. Now, who are your assistant coaches? It's the church. Did you, did you know that the church is not here to replace? The church is here to partner. See, I am responsible for parenting my children, not the church. But the church is here to partner with me and Steph in raising our children to one day be good parents. You have an incredible assistant, assistant coach. It's called Potential Church. Did you know that there's a, a, a preschool ministry, there's a children's ministry, there's a student ministry, there are collegiate small groups. And you know, right now, you know what's going on in the children's ministry? 
that there are pastors over there, there are volunteers over there that have spent this week, this week they have spent hours preparing to partner with you so that you can win with your children and your children can be successful. They have sacrificed. They have planned, they have prepared, they have prayed, they have cried. I mean, it is one of the priorities of their life. They do not do it because they're bored. They do not do it because they're paid. They do it because they want you as a parent to win. The same thing is true in the student ministry. Again, you've got some pastors, you've got volunteers, and they're weak. You know what their week has been? It's been preparing to help your student win because the world wants your student to fail. The world wants to tell your student that they can't, they never will. It is impossible, and it's not going to happen. But there are some adults over there that have spent all week long getting spiritually and physically and emotionally and mentally prepared to come this weekend... And remind your students that there is nothing they can't do, that they were created to win, that they will succeed, that there is greatness within them, that they have a purpose and a potential, and that they were created to do something of significance, and we're going to walk with you and encourage you and inspire you and challenge you. You have an assistant coach like that. They're right over there. So why? Would you ever allow your children or your students to be in here? Don't, listen, it's not that I'm not impressed. Parents will sometimes come to me and they'll say, you know, my eight-year-old, they just love to hear you teach. I, I try to take them over there, and, but they just love to hear you teach. Now, I, I got to tell you, that, that feels good to me, kind of strokes my ego, but you need to know as a parent they're lying to you, all right? Now, I'll tell you why they would rather be in here than be over there. It's because the service in here, I have not spent all week long thinking about what the Scripture has to say or how to inspire, challenge, or encourage an eight-year-old. I haven't. Now, over there, See, the, the reason uh, your child doesn't like to be over there, or our student might not like to be over there, is because that's what they did all week long. As they, they, they prepared to challenge your student with what they're dealing with. See, I prepared to challenge you, and that's why there's tension in the room. Right? There's tension because some of us are like, I don't know if I believe that. It's crazy. Right, right. And some of us are, there, there's, this, there's this struggle. And the struggle is good because it causes us to go, does the Bible really say that? Is, is he crazy? And, and all that. See, that, so, and, and, but it's uncomfortable. But it's out of that uncomfortableness that we actually grow, that we succeed. Well, see, your kids aren't facing that. They're not dealing, you know what your children are doing right now? They're evaluating you I'm based on what I said. But if they were over there in the children's ministry or the students' ministry, you know what? They have been prepared all week long. They've been uh, preparing to teach them about what it means to be a Christ follower as an eight-year-old, how to honor your parents, how to share with your siblings, how to live out your faith at uh, at school, all the things that they wrestle with and that they deal with. And the same is true for the students. So it's just easier to be over here. 
Because I don't have to wrestle with any of that. And all of us have one thing in common. We have this skin that we carry around with us everywhere we go. And because Adam and Eve screwed up, we all wrestle with it. I, I just want you to understand that there is a team of people that really wants you to win. Leverage them. They can't replace you, but they can partner with you. And they will do everything they can. That's why it's important to be consistent. You know, it's, it's kind of like working out, right? If you work out once a month, I mean, you might go to the gym and, and you're working out. You got Gatorade in your hand. You know, you got sweat pouring down. You got a little matching, you know, your headband matches your shoes. And, you know, you're, 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 mm, mm, you got the grunt down and, and all that. But if you come one month and you don't go back and work out till the next month, are you really getting into shape? You're not, are you? You're, you're just showing up. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. That's why we challenge you to be consistent. We, we, we don't get, you know, I don't get a star for the number of times you show up. My goal is to partner with you so that you will win. It's from our mission is to partner with people to reach their God potential so that they can impact the world for good. Why do doctors say, oh, you know, they challenge us about what we eat. They challenge us about whether we're getting exercise. It's because they've seen a lot of sick people who wouldn't have had to have been sick if they would have just eaten a little less sugar. Or they just would have walked around the block a few times during the week. Well, as a pastor, I can tell you, I've seen so many families go through so much pain because they just can't be consistent. Because it's out of consistency that growth happens. Maturity takes place. Community happens. Unity happens. All those kind of things. So leverage your assistant coaches. And you got some great ones. I'm telling you, we have some incredible people in our preschool and in our students. And I, I, I'm a satisfied customer because my kids have grown up here. And I am so happy about where they are as people. They've still got growth to do. But I am so happy and I am so thankful for the men and women and some of you guys who have poured into them because they will be better parents because of you. And they have missed pain because of you. So thank you so much for that. Here, 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 here's the next one. Train. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right. Uh, train your coaches on the field. Train your coaches on the field. Let me show you an on-the-field coach, all right? Peyton Manning, Super Bowl quarterback. Now, here's what they say about Peyton is that he's like a coach on the field. He's thinking, doing, you know, all that kind of thing. In basketball, they always say that the point guard needs to be the coach on the field. Well, the same thing is true in family. You need a coach on the field. Who is the coach on the field? Well, it's the brothers and sisters, right? You have siblings. If your children have siblings, or you could say cousins, you could even say maybe, you know, neighbors, those kind of things, depending on your situation. But they are, they're coaches on the field. So what I want to do as a parent is be intentional, understanding that my goal is to raise my children in order to one day leave and become good parents themselves who raise children who leave so that decades from now, my impact is being felt in the world in a positive way because of the difference God's made in my life. So I want to then be intentional to make sure that I'm, because Bailey is she can speak into her brother's life in a way I'll never be able to. She knows some of the challenges they face that I'll never understand. 
She, she, they, they, you know, they, so brothers and cousins, they can speak into one another's life. They can challenge one another. They understand things. So then I want to be intentional making sure that I'm doing all I can to help Bailey be effective in challenging her brother. I want to talk to her about that. I want to talk to Tyler about how he can be effective in encouraging Bailey. Because I want to I wanna leverage the coaches I have on the field. Because there are times when you as a parent, you're not there. And there are things that you don't understand. And there are things that your children are not going to talk to you about. And so you want somebody to be able to do that. All right. Uh, I think we've got time maybe for one more responsibility, all right? It's the referee. Let me, let me show you a couple of referees here. Now, what do referees do? They assess the penalty. Referees assess the penalty. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will what? Ruin their lives. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I think this. I think the most challenging thing to do as a parent is discipline. I, I, I think it's very difficult. Because remember, discipline's not punishment. Punishment's about pain for today. Discipline is about success in tomorrow. So what do good referees do? Well, first of all, they start early. They start early. Start in the first quarter of life. Teach your children. I want to teach my children the difference between discipline and consequences. Because I want them to understand that as an adult. See, discipline is when you and I as a parent step in and we bring some, something, right? They may be grounded. They may be uh, spanked. They may be, uh, something may be taken from them. But they are disciplined so that they can be more successful in the future. Consequences, on the other hand, are the outcome of not living out a principle, or um, not being obedient to a principle. And it's important for them to understand that, especially because it will help them in their relationship with God. See, I really think that a lot of times we misunderstand how God wants to work in our lives. Did you know we are all made by God, the Bible says, knit together in our mother's wombs. Therefore, God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. Do you know why God wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible so that the creation he created could succeed when? So he wrote this book. And, and did you know that the Bible says, <clears throat> hey, in life, if you're not careful, you can be stressed out about money. But you don't have to be. Right here's all you have to do. Do you know the Bible talks about that? It says you, do not, you don't have to be stressed about money. You don't have to go to bed worried about money. You don't have to worry about... He said, all you got to do is this. Do you know the same thing? The Bible says the same thing about relationships. It says you can have a great marriage. Here's how. It says you can be a great parent. Here's how. Here's how to have a fulfilling sex life. Here's how to be a super employer. Here's how to be a great... The Bible says, now, what you and I have to decide is whether or not we trust him enough to do what? Position ourselves or to, to live out that principle. 
Because that's what the Bible says. Here's a principle so you don't have to worry about money. Here's a principle to have a great marriage. Here's a principle for an awesome sex life. See, that's what the Bible is, but here's what many of us hear. Many of us believe that what we're really trying to do is to convince God to be nice to us. So we're like, God, okay, now I was at church this week, so you know I'd really like to have that date. Haven't I earned it? Right? I mean, we, we, we're, we're somehow God's sitting up there, and it, oh, we don't want to make him mad, and we're trying to best we do things, we pray, we do all these things, trying to somehow get him to like us enough to do what we need or want done. And when he doesn't, we don't understand. Well, see, the same thing happens to our children when we don't teach them about consequences. Now, think about it. You have... As a groundskeeper, you said we're going to bed at 9 o'clock. But your child says, you know what? No, I'm not going to go to bed. And you just allow them. They don't go to bed at 9 o'clock. But in the morning, when you have to be awake, awoken, awakened, get out of bed to go to school, they're like, Mom, Dad, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to school. You're not like, well, okay, you can go tomorrow. Just go back to bed. No, no, no. There are consequences to not living the principle. What was the principle? The principle was you need to go to bed at whatever, 9 o'clock, let's say. Okay? That's the principle. If you go to bed early, you get up with energy, you perform better, you for, therefore succeed, and you, you, know, you have more enjoyment in your life. They said they weren't going to go to bed at 9, or they just snuck up, they didn't go to bed at 9. They violated the principle. So now, the consequence is they have to go to school tired. But what do children do? Children are trying to convince you and me, Dad, don't make me, don't make me, don't. They're trying to talk us in to letting them out from underneath the consequences as if we're the reason they're tired. Then they go to school. They don't do well on the test. It affects their grades. They're grouchy. They end up in the principal's office. And all day long, what are our children trying to do? They are trying to convince their teacher, be nice to me, nice to me. I didn't have time to study. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get enough sleep. Principal, please don't punish me. Then somehow they have in their mind that if they can get the authority figure to be nice to them, then they will be blessed. That is not the way the world works. The world works because God set it up with principles. There are principles that when you live out those principles, you will always get that outcome. It may... <clears throat> this is so important to success because successful people understand this. And people who struggle with success are still trying to convince authority figures and God to be nice to them and believe that the reason that they haven't succeeded is because somebody's punishing them, not being nice to them. Listen, that is dead wrong. Nobody can keep you from succeeding because the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time, God created you to win. And nothing can get in between that desire of God and your outcome other than you. But we got to teach our children that or they'll spend their whole life trying to convince authority figures to be nice to them so that they can succeed in life. When in reality, God wrote a book that's filled with principles that say, when you do this, here's the outcome you're going to get. Now, it may take longer than you thought, and it may be more difficult than you thought, but if you live this principle, you will get this outcome. And so, as a referee, I want to make sure that my kids understand that 
He said, I don't want them to spend their whole life trying to talk the world into being nice to them. When God says, here it is. Just live it out. Let me give you the rest of these real quick. Be it penalized in private, because remember the goal of discipline is success in the future. And if I'm embarrassing my kids, they're going to be distracted by that. Embarrassment is not discipline, it's punishment. The goal of discipline is for them to succeed in the future. Don't react, referee. I, I, I missed one. Be consistent. Right? Because that's the hardest part of parenting, isn't it? Have you ever kind of fallen into the trap where you're like, okay, you better sit down before I get the five. Don't let me get the five. One, two, two and a half. Two and, that's the way some of our kids learn their fractions, right? <laughs> right? Because what does a referee have? A referee has a whistle. <whistles> right? Foul. <whistles> Got a foul right here. But you can't just blow the whistle. Have you ever been to Walmart or somewhere and seen a parent who just blows the whistle all the time? And you're like, for goodness sake, you know, assess the penalty, do something. But all they do, our kids, all, all they've done is to train their ears to the sound of the whistle. We've we got to be consistent, and that's the hard part. Assess the penalty. You stepped out of bounds, here's the penalty. Because I love you, I'm going to assess this penalty. Don't react, referee. I, I, do you ever get to the end of your rope? And this is when I think we react. Where my kids are doing something, and I'm like, stop, you know, and, and I'm trying to be consistent and all of that. But I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to the end of my rope. And then they do something that's really not that bad, but I'm at the end of my rope. I mean, that's just one brick too many. And they do that, and I'm like, okay, that's enough. You're grounded five years. <laughs> All right? And then you're like, oh, shoot. I mean, you know, <laughs> it really wasn't worth five years, you know. So you're kind of stuck. So you want to be intentional. The fifth responsibility is a cheerleader. Our kids need encouragement. Man, the world's such a negative place. And... Uh, Mom, Dad, don't underestimate the power you have to encourage your kids. They may not always let you know that, but you got so much encouraged. Fifth, alumni. What do alumni do? They, they make away they, the, the money out of college. They pay for the uniforms. The scripture in Matthew chapter 19 is where Jesus made a path for the kids. As parents, we want to make a way. We want to make a way for our kids to succeed. And so we want to make sure they're around great people. Give them diversity of experiences. Invite them into conversations. There is one, maybe more, but one parenting distraction. It's at every athletic contest. It's the crowd. And the crowd can be a distraction and push people in the wrong direction. Me and you as parents... Right? If you're around people who are always complaining about their kids, it's easy to start falling into that boat. They can also be a distraction to our, our, our children, a negative influence. That's what the scriptures there say. But the crowd can also be a positive in influence. That's, again, why this family is so important. Potential church is because our desire is to be an encouragement. 
The world can be so discouraging. The Bible says there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The world tells our, our kids, the world tells you that you can't, you never will, you don't have enough, you don't know enough. You've already failed so many times. But this crowd is here. Just reminds you, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For I know the plans the Lord has for me. There are plans not to fail, but there are plans to succeed. You are a masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. That's what we're here for. Encourage, inspire to be um, a positive influence on one another's life. Parenting is not easy, but it is a worthy adventure to go on. You have so much opportunity. The only hope our world has are you as a parent, grandparent, uncle, you know, godfather, godmother, the influence you have in children. Anytime God's wanted to change the world, you know what he did? A child was born. That's how God changes the world. A child is born. And do you know that the child you have, you have because of who you are. See, God knit that child together in a certain way because you're a certain way and you are uniquely gifted and woven and skilled and talented for the child that God has put into your life. And whether they live in your house or they're, you know, a nephew or a niece or a grandson or a granddaughter, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. I hope that all of us will embrace it. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you. It's challenging at times. And we even wrestle with these things. But I, I pray that ultimately, ultimately, we will succeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give God a hand one more time? <laughs>